In the early spring of 2020, the manifestation of death that I faced was one of violence and passion, seemingly fueled by hatred. We'd been called to a house on the road out of Lifford by a postman who'd noticed the curtains undrawn in a house. The first officer on the scene found a broken pane in the back door and on entering discovered the occupant murdered. The dead man lay on his side, hanging half off the bed. His upper body, exposed over the tangle of bedclothes that acted as a loincloth of sorts, carried a number of puncture wounds. A thin trail of blood arching up the wall and across the ceiling above him, drawn in the wake of whatever had been used to stab him to death during one of the more violent swings, as surely as the moon pulls the tide. The blood was unnaturally bright, lit by the fluorescence of the floodlights that the scene of the crime officers had set up in each corner of the room to reduce the shadow fall from those moving around this memento mori. The air was sharp and ferric with the taste of blood. I stepped from one metal footpad to the next, angling my head to better see the dead man. Fifteen years ago, I might instantly have known him for a stranger. Back then, Lifford was still small enough that everyone knew everyone else, the population static, save for the occasional passing or birth. But that had all changed. Lifford straddles the border between the north and the south of Ireland. Once a frontier point in customs post during the darkest days of the country's recent history, the end of violence and the demilitarisation of the border made the crossing point almost invisible. A slight change in the tarmac quality on the roads and the change in signage from kilometres to miles, the only indication of the place where one jurisdiction merged into the other. The housing bubble in those years of the early 2000s had brought with it an explosion of developments, while the relative weakness of the euro, compared with the pound at the time, had brought in an influx of buyers from the north. The recession and the austerity measures in the south drove those same buyers back across the border again ten years later and left the area peppered with houses either lying empty or, more often, being rented out on short-term leases. Added to that, the Brexit vote had caused nothing but concern about the likely direction the area would take as one of the few places where the UK abutted the EU with a land border, a fact given scant consideration throughout the debate by those braying for a return to the days of splendid isolationism. The combination of all these factors led to a further movement as people shifted sides in preparation for the possible fallout of the vote. As a result, the population of the town was ever-changing and strangers no longer stood out. Does anyone recognise him? I asked. There's something about him that's familiar. The room, though alive with movement, was surprisingly quiet, each person going about their own work, passing one another with balletic agility at times in the cramped space. A few shook their heads, the others, non-locals, said nothing. I stepped closer, examined him more carefully. I knew his face somehow, his profile eliciting in me a form of déjà vu that always left me feeling unsettled, as if grasping at the scraps of a dream, ephemeral as mist. He wore black boxer shorts, his legs thin and wiry, his arms, one of which seemed entangled in the bedsheet, were decorated with a number of tattoos, several of which I could tell were homemade. 
One of a spider's web traversed the skin between his forefinger and thumb. His trunk, in addition to the wounds which I'd already seen, was marked with small, perfectly round scars, perhaps half a dozen, no bigger than a ten-cent coin. His body, though almost lupine, was toned and hard, even in death. On the floor rested the nest of his trousers and a t-shirt pulled inside out. They'd clearly been discarded that way before he'd got into bed. His boots lay not far beyond a black sock balled up inside the leg of each, a gesture of neatness and control that seemed antithetical to the manner in which he had discarded the rest of his clothing, as if it was something done through muscle memory or habit. I glanced around the room, noting the decor. Magnolia paint with cheaply framed art prints on the wall, a scented candle, unused, sitting on the bedside cabinet atop a lace doily. A small non-brand TV set sat on an occasional table in the corner, the remote control hanging in a plastic holster stuck to its side. There was something about the dead man which did not seem to match the room, nor indeed the house itself. 